0: Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. Today, hopefully we're going to save Afghanistan. It's all anyone can talk about because everyone is horrified by the images and stories uh, that are coming out of a country that we have been embroiled in for two decades. And, uh, you know, some of the the hardest things to listen to are the stories of uh, combat veterans who have served over there, uh, the people they have lost, the people they have served with, uh, the people they fought alongside who are from Afghanistan, who've now been left behind. And uh, one of the people that I wanted to talk to was actually so inspired by his three tours there that he started a really cool business as a way of uh, supporting people over there and uh, especially women and Girls. Uh, there's a, a great company, and maybe you've heard of it, it's called Combat Flip-Flops. And it, uh, it was started by a guy named Matthew Griffin. He goes by the name Griff. He went to West Point, the alma mater of one of my favorite presidents of all time, Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, he was also a special operations army rager, and again, he did three tours over there. He co-founded Combat Flip-Flops in 2006. So, Griff, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World.
1: Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here.
0: So t- tell me what you are seeing as, as you, you know, obviously, uh, you've got just about as much experience as anyone who has been over there and served. And I know that you have been emotionally and professionally invested in the place for a long time. So given all of that and all of your experience, what are you what are you seeing and how are you processing it?
1: Uh, what we're seeing right now is the complete handover of a nation to the Taliban. Uh, From the reports we're getting on the street, these aren't guys rolling through on armored vehicles and trucks loaded with machine guns. They're on motorcycles with small arms and bicycles to some degree. You know, there is a we're getting reports that the commanders were telling their soldiers to lay down their arms and to not fight. And these Taliban fighters are rolling into the cities and they're taking these epic videos and they're broadcasting to the world the fall of a nation to the Taliban. They ran over that country. People are in fear. They're hiding for their lives. They're sheltering in place. And everything's come to a a halt, a standstill, essentially, in the nation. And everybody's eyes are on them right now.
0: So as we look at this and and we see the images and and we hear the stories, you know, we hear that uh, Kabul airport has been surrounded by Taliban fighters and they are deciding who gets in and who doesn't. I'm not sure how they're making those lists and allowing people to cross the velvet rope. Uh, There are a lot of people, including the secretary of state and people from the Defense Department, saying that they're surprised how quickly Afghanistan has fallen. Um, A, are you surprised? And B, what went wrong with all of this?
1: Uh, I'm not surprised at all. I've been talking about this for years. And last year I was on a podcast, April of 2020, where I almost called it to the day of when this is going to happen.
0: And what did you say? Um,
1: What I said is, you know, within, you know, Early part, you know, of June, you were going to watch the country fall within six months, and then it's going to go like a series of dominoes. It's going to go quickly and rapidly. As soon as we telegraphed our de- our decision to ev- evacuate by September eleventh, that all that did was it outlined a timeline, a military timeline for the Taliban to take over the country. And That's it's, all
0: it did. It's certainly it hasn't been hard for them. So, um, he, President Biden blamed the Afghan security forces that had been trained uh, to the tune of billions of dollars by the U.S. government. And he says that they're the ones who didn't want to fight. uh, But then you have various generals and people who have served and, you know, people in the intelligence community are saying that's actually not true because many more of them have died uh, than uh, U.S. combat forces. So when the president says that, that the Afghan security forces, they they didn't fight, they didn't want to save their own country. What uh, what light can you shed on
1: that? Yeah. So what I'll say is the, the comments toward blaming the Afghan national forces and to all of the people who stood up to serve their country. Those guys fought and more of them die every year than all of the U.S. forces have died in Afghanistan over the past 20 years. And they've done that under the conditions of growing up in poverty, no clean water, you know, food poverty as well, and then illiteracy and then forced to fight a country with very tough conditions in which their families are being targeted and murdered. They don't get paid very often. And then when they do get injured or hurt, they go back to a very poor hospital in which I've been to, and they don't get VA benefits. They don't get somebody taking care of them. It's up to them to take care of themselves after they get injured in this fight. There are so many things stacked against them that you can't even compare. It's like comparing apples to a Volkswagen when you're comparing the fighters. It's totally different. And it's an insult to all the people that fought for their nation.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they were invested and it's as though um, and, and you wrote a chilling piece written from the point of view of the Taliban, basically thanking the United States for playing, even though it was a 20 year war, playing the short game because they are uh, they they will wait around for millennia in order to be victorious. And just proving that no matter which army crosses their border, uh, they will win. So tell me about that.
1: There's a very famous parable in the military circles regarding Afghanistan. In the very few first weeks of the war, a general was asked, How long are you going to be here? And he goes, Oh, we're going to be here a long time, 10, 20 years. They ask an Afghan general the same thing. Oh, they're going to be here a short time, 10, 20 years. It's a Western mindset. You know, we we didn't see the long game in this. And I and it's been really difficult for me to articulate to the American population because we don't know our enemy. We don't know what we're asking our young servicemen and women to do. We're just believing the voices behind the pulpits about how, how successful we're being, but we truly don't know our enemy. And I wanted to write a piece that was so shocking that would get people to actually listen and to understand. And so the only way that I could figure it out without sounding sounding like the typical angry disgruntled veteran was to write it from the voice of the Taliban. And people are mad at me because of what I wrote, but this is just what we know they think of us. And there's nothing in that article you can't disprove that they haven't already said.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: Yeah.
0: That no that that Americans are fat and they they live for convenient lifestyles. Uh, that they're addicted to the poison, meaning the uh, the opium that they export from Afghanistan, and you know it's like there there's essentially nothing that the United States could have done to achieve victory. But I think, you know, from my perspective, you know, someone who covers news and is a civilian, that's really frustrating because that's one of the things that we've been talking about for years and years is, you know, what what are we doing there and what does victory look like? What are the objectives? What are you supposed to be aiming for and for the people who are in charge? Uh, sending young men and women to die for what is—is uh, is that frustrating as a combat veteran?
1: It's exceptionally frustrating, and and many of—if you ask all the service members who have read the article, they say, you know, two things: is we didn't go there to fight for our freedoms; we went there to fight for each other. Like we signed up when we got thrust into this war. And the other thing they say is this piece articulated the sentiment that we haven't been able to express for the past two decades. Mm-hmm. So it's resonating it's resonating with the fighters and i would exclude the general officers you know in that in that category of people
0: this is kennedy saves the world don't go anywhere
1: from the fox news podcasts network i'm ben dominich fox news contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter and i'm inviting you to join a conversation every week it's the ben dominich podcast
0: subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com So how how the hell did this happen and how do we keep it from happening again?
1: Well, the way that it happened is America went to sleep. We got war weary. Right. We've been talking about this for years. We haven't had our representatives held accountable by the American people for the billions and or trillions of dollars they've wasted in this war effort with nothing to show. Every single year, there's a report called the CIGAR reports, the Special Investigative General Report on Afghan Reconstruction. And every year that the, it's a it's a private report that gets issued to the president and it gets issued to the public. And every year it shows that we are failing miserably. Yet Congress ignores it, the Senate ignores it, the administration ignores it, all of the military gener- generals ignore it. They just keep going, barreling on down this path of failure because there's so much money in it. That's how it happened. And meanwhile, we buy all the books, we buy tickets to all the movies, we watch all the documentaries. And we feel good about ourselves without really holding our representatives accountable to what they they said they were going to do.
0: Yes. And it has been a complete congressional abdication. And, um, you know, one aspect of that report called Lessons Learned um, was published in part by the Washington Post in summer of 2019. And, you know, it was shocking the number of people who, you know, spoke on the record, even though a lot of their names were redacted uh, when the FOIA requests were satisfied. Uh, but they were like, we don't have people who understand this context. And, you know, on the five, I said, it's like someone who stays in a bad relationship because they know the breakup is going to be so ugly. Uh, but this was the most an artful horrific breakup that you couldn't have even imagined this and it has the potential to get so much worse so uh, you know what are some of the things that can follow from a botched withdrawal like
1: this there is nothing that we can do right now it's sad but it is true and all we have to do is sit and wait and wait until the dust settles The only thing we can do is we can ask questions in public, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, across all social media, tag your representatives and ask them the hard questions and keep asking them until they answer. Right. If you don't think that they give you a satisfactory response, then put another candidate in the race and support them and make sure that the type of people who are not going to send their sons and daughters into these types of conflicts any longer. We've been doing it for 50 years. There's no reason we should do it ever again. There's so many movies, so many lessons, so many books that tell us that this is the wrong thing to do, and we need to learn this lesson the hard way.
0: Do a, a lot of people who return from combat do they become? Because you know, I have talked to some people who become. They they may not self-identify as libertarian, uh, but they they do on some level because they they come back with a a real distrust of their government.
1: Yeah, I always have to say a lot of the you know the military community. I mean, it, it splits both sides, but I have to say it's primarily conservative. But when you go down range and you see how these people struggle, it, it develops a deep sense of empathy within you, which creates an understanding for the other side, which then bridges the gap. It sends more people from conservative towards centrist.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think about because we talk about, you know, the the Afghan forces who fought as our allies. We, we talk about uh, the American men and women who gave their lives, you know, and, and, you know, we talk about the people who gave their limbs. But do you think about the civilians over there? who lost their lives and the, the families who were decimated. You talk about that sense of empathy. What do, you, what do you think about when you consider the other side?
1: Yeah, I think that all we have done is we've created fuel for their fire. Every time we have sent a random bro- drone strike, every time we have missed the target with a bomb, every time we've sent a stray bullet, all we've done is create propaganda and more fighters for their side. We say business bullets at combat flip-flops and you can't bomb an ideology and submission it doesn't work we've proven this over and over and over again but yet we still continue to try and all we do every time we hurt those people we can't even ask for an apology there's there's no no even way to do that to even seek forgiveness because all they do is they get picked up immediately by the other side and then they're radicalized and we gave them the opportunity to do that
0: uh, you know, but my worry is it's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening with every administration and they're going to find uh, new conflicts and new justifications and new umbrella terms like the war on terror, which seem to be unresolvable. And, you know, you also have these um, AUMFs that allow successive administrations and, you know, Congress to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it's it's so frustrating. And there's so much there's so much devastation. There's so much death that I don't know when people wake up. I thought they would learn the lessons from Vietnam. But I think, you know, there was there was such dormancy. And especially in the 90s, there was there was a prolonged period of this feeling of peace that, you know, maybe people long for something, but it hasn't been the right instinct and it hasn't been the right follow through. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, business over bullets. That's what will save humanity. It is it is commerce. You know, you talk about people who don't have any drinking water. Uh, they don't have any stuff. They don't have medicine in their hospitals. But if you introduce capitalism and prosperity, uh, all of a sudden, you you lift people out of extreme poverty. So what was the goal when you started combat flip-flops?
1: Uh, actually, the goal when we started combat flip-flops was just to keep a combat boot factory running in Afghanistan. Uh, we have a book about it. It's called Steps Ascending, Rise of the Unarmed Forces, which outlines our, our foundational moment all the way through to Shark Tank and how we took an idea that everybody said was going to fail and we, we won on the biggest stage in America because we motivated a whole bunch of people to do what was right. We were gonna create jobs and stability in local areas to give people the American dream. They could give their kids a life that they didn't have for themselves just through the simple sheer fact of employment. And then from there, we use every one of our pieces of footwear we sell, we put a girl in school for Afghanistan for a day. We just literally crossed the threshold of funding a thousand years of school for girls when this happened. All the schools are closed. All the girls are sheltered in place. We're fearing for their safety. And we just don't know. All of our factories are closed. Our, our factory managers, you know, they're closed. You know, we employed 44 men and 36 women in a factory making these scarves, these shamas, you know, on woven machines, putting all people to work. We made up more than 1% of exports from Afghanistan last year Wow! out of a small shop. And now our factory is closed. Nobody can go to work. The factory manager's in hiding. And he's trying to get his two sons out of country because they're 19 and 21. And he's afraid they're going to be they're going to be forcefully recruited into the Taliban. This is what the civilian population is going through right now. It's crazy.
0: So, you know, is there any way that you can help relocate people to some of your other factories in other countries?
1: You know, uh, we've been on this for about four months. We helped get our interpreter out. luckily we saw this coming. So we did a GoFundMe campaign from O'Near. He was a special forces interpreter. We ended up getting him and his wife out to the UK because the Department of State failed on a special immigration visa for nine years to get him to the United States. And luckily we happened to, f- he served with the UK for three months and they, they sent him to the UK. We've got excess funds left over from that campaign, which we're using to get as many people out as possible. Uh, So we'll put a link on our website if you guys want to go to the GoFundMe and donate there. But right now, all we can do is just wait for the dust to settle. And then once that's done, hopefully people can leave. And Afghans are pretty creative. They're tough. They're diligent. They're smart. And they're cunning. And if they want to get out of country, they'll figure out a way. And once they get out, we'll be able to support them with living expenses to the best of our ability.
0: All right. What's a website?
1: Ah, dot com. We'll have everything on the blog if you guys want to check it out.
0: Yeah, and and I hope uh, everyone goes to your your site right now and and read what you wrote uh, from the POV of the Taliban because it's chilling and it's it's incredibly honest. I, I think this is a great company. I encourage people uh, to go there and engage and a little bit of good old-fashioned capitalism and, and buy some of your products. And I, I really thank you for your insight. I know some of the other uh, veterans who have been to Afghanistan that I've spoken to, they're having a really hard time. Is this as hard as you thought it would be?
1: Yeah, it is. And I want to say something to those guys if they're listening. Go ahead. Don't give those pricks the satisfaction of taking one more American life. Do not let them win through this. It is our burden to carry and to make sure that it doesn't happen again. You need to stick with it.
0: Well said, Griff. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it.
1: Appreciate it.
0: All right. It's people like Matthew Griffin who are truly going to save the world. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to FoxNewsPodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network.